This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everybody, and thanks so much for joining us today for the June edition of The Balanced Perspective. As usual, I'm your host, David Levinson, and we're joined on the line by Ian Power of Truffle Asset Management. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Just to check, can you hear me loud and clear? Morning, David, and good morning to uh, everyone who's logged in. Yeah, and if you're wondering why I'm looking so incredibly smart today, we also welcome the attendees of our annual Treasurer's Conference. So um, a few couple hundred more guests. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, we have uh, the balanced perspective with Ian for the next 15 minutes, and then we'll continue on with the rest of the agenda for the Treasurer's Conference, which today is focused on responsible investing. Uh, before we get into our first question with Ian, just to recap some of the global stories that have played out when our went through my head over what's happened over the course of the last month. Uh, there are an incredible amount of stories. We had the saddening news of the political unrest in Gaza. Just about a month ago, there was the US gas pipeline a ransomware story that played out. And then again, the saddening news of the COVID virus and the third wave rippling across the world, particularly in the likes of India. For those that dialed in a month ago, you'll recall Ian and I chatting to some extent about the big oil companies and how they need to transition into big energy companies. And uh, the last few stories I told you were quite negative, but on a more positive note, and there's been a lot of environmental action around the big oil companies. So the likes of um, ExxonMobil, for example, just last week, shareholders pressured the company into um, bringing on board uh, two new non-executive directors uh, with a strong focus on climate change and renewable energy. An exceptional story out of the Netherlands was Royal Dutch Shell having a legal case there to lower their emissions by 45% by 2030 off their 2019 baseline. Um, and then even Chevron, a general laggard in the sector, have also felt shareholder pressure to lower their emissions as well. And I think that was their scope three emissions. And then another story, which is completely fascinating for me, has actually been at Amazon. Um, obviously, Jeff Bezos is stepping away, but they've experienced their own shareholder pressure in terms of shareholders looking for them to disclose what happens to their plastic packaging downstream. So it's now about a company taking ownership of their product and the entire value chain, and this is specifically around plastic and how it ends up in the environment or the oceans. So quite an interesting standard has been set there across the Atlantic. So moving on to today's discussion, which is largely focused around inflation, I've then taken a bit of liberty to, at the back end of the call, to ask in a little bit more about what we've seen in SA equities, particularly over the course of the last week, which is quite fascinating. But Ian, back in May, we chatted a fair amount about the US Treasury yield and why it matters um, even to investors like ourselves here in South Africa. And the argument continues to rage about whether we'll see real inflation hit our wallets. And the Fed seemed to be playing it down slightly, but there are certain commentators, I think, for the likes of uh, Larry Summers saying that inflation is without a doubt imminent. Before we speak a little bit about the future financial market implications are because of US inflation, maybe you could touch on what are some of the key drivers that those who are saying in the camp saying, yes, we will see inflation, um, what those are, and then maybe those that are more skeptical, what they're basing their argument on. Sure, David. So I think I think one needs to differentiate between the timeline in terms of our inflation expectation and outlook. So I think there's pretty much unanimous acceptance that we're going to see quite a strong cyclical pickup in short-term inflation. And that's just really because of the COVID base from from last year. Obviously, when you had the collapse in various prices, commodity prices, consumption, expenditure, and now we're sort of measuring off, uh, you know, an oil price, which, you know, at one point went negative during uh, COVID, I'm sure many of you remember. So I think from that perspective, there's certainly a cyclical element 
of an inflation acceleration together with higher commodity prices and uh, demand which has come online. But I think the big question that you're really asking and investors are asking is about longer term inflation. So if one looks at the um, US uh, uh, break evens, what you can see on the three and five years in the US is on the three year break evens is the market is expecting sort of a 2.7% inflation number. And then on the five years, I think is around about 2.6. So you can definitely see in the shorter term, there is quite a strong expectation that you're going to have higher inflation. But I think many market commentators are, are really making the argument that we've almost hit an inflection point now in that inflation is going to start structurally creeping higher. And some of the arguments for that in terms of higher inflation would really be uh, the following. The first is from a global perspective, we've almost done a, a complete 180 in terms of globalization. So there's very, very strong deglobalization happening where economies are looking to become self-sufficient in terms of manufacturing. And I think China and the US are two big prime examples where on the back of very strong nationalist and populist policies, you're seeing a lot of those manufacturing assets being brought home. And this then comes at the expense of cost. So what it does is it effectively lifts your production costs because you know businesses historically would have looked for the cheapest place to produce or assemble phones or make chips or um, high-tech equipment. And I think what you're seeing now is, you know, people wanting to bring that home. So that pushes up prices. And I think that's important to, to uh, uh, recognize. Um, on top of that, you've got this extreme fiscal stimulus from governments and the fact that governments are, are running big deficits and they're monetizing those deficits. So effectively, they're printing money. And, uh, you know, uh, if you go back to Economics 101, there's a school of thought that says, you know, if you if you continue to print money and put that money into the public's hands, like has happened in this case with the checks straight into people's bank accounts, people tend to spend it. And, you know, that typically can be inflationary. And then I think the bigger longer term factor and driver, and I think this is also what Larry Summers was talking to, is the potential for real wages to start increasing. So I think what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, a significant amount of demand coming back online in terms of the global economies as we normalize post-COVID. And the amount of labor available for those jobs or skilled labor is relatively scarce. And you're now starting to see price increases in terms of uh, labor. So labor is starting to get a better deal versus the last 10 or 20 years where I think, you know, real wages uh, haven't really gone anywhere, particularly if you look in the US. So, so I think that would be, you know, once you start to get real wage increases of maybe three, maybe four percent over time, that potentially there's an argument that that could reset inflation expectations a little bit higher. And then, you know, potentially you start to see inflation, you know, slowly pick up. And then finally, I would say the last factor would be the Fed's view. And you've already said it is the Fed believes this inflation kick in the short term is transitory. But I think we won't know when we're in it. And they've said that they will rather let the economy run hotter 
before they react in terms of monetary policy. So I think the key here is that the Fed believes this short-term spike in inflation will in fact be short-term and transitory. They're not going to act. And in the event that this inflation expectation does start to ratchet higher, you have the potential situation where the Fed then is maybe behind the curve. And I think that's really what people are um, maybe referring to in terms of inflation going higher. I think there's no question about you know runaway inflation. I think that's a that's a crazy argument. I think what we're talking about is just you know inflation lifting much much higher, maybe sort of at a two and a half to to three and a half or three percent level, rather than you know what we've seen. So I think that's really what we're looking at, and I think we won't know in the next couple of months because we are going to see inflation move higher because of those cyclical elements. And whether that remains or whether that structurally starts to ratchet up, we're only going to know after the fact. But I think it's fair to say that some of the risks look as though they are skewed towards the upside. Although you can make a very strong case as well that some of the strong deflationary forces are are still at work. Thank you so much, Ian. Many people that have dialed in are obviously managing their own clients' expectations. And I want to give them a, a lens into, I guess, a portfolio manager's thinking in, in, in terms of what the economic playout looks like over the next 12 to 24 months. So we, we've even spoken about inflation expectations and subsequently how the different reserve banks might react. So what does this mean over the, the remainder of 2021 and going into 2022 in terms of how you may foresee a risk on or a risk off environment? As well as as a portfolio manager, how does that translate into an asset allocation strategy that balances both risk and reward? I think one's got to take a step back, and I think you know, I guess get a get a sense of the fundamentals firstly. And I think when we've looked at where we came from during COVID, I think valuations during COVID became very very attractive, and the medicine that central banks dealt out to COVID was extremely powerful in the sense of ultra-loose monetary policy and fiscal stimulus, which has created an opportunity for an enormous recovery in corporate earnings. And I think that's what we're seeing now. So we're actually seeing global equity earnings growing well in excess of expectations. And I mean, we we sort of seeing earnings this year you know, north of sort of 30% in terms of earnings growth, many of these companies coming off low basis. And that is propelling and keeping valuations higher and giving investors the benefits of beta. So you're seeing, you know, that equities maintain their performance because of the strong earnings recovery, even in the face of some valuations which look fairly stretched particularly in the US. So from from our perspective, you know, we've been running reasonable risk asset allocations, uh, certainly from an SA perspective. And then from a global perspective, we've been pretty positive on uh, some of the ex-US names, particularly in the cyclical value camps. And it's pretty likely that those shares and sectors will continue to get the benefit of the strong earnings recovery and the fact that they're trading on fairly or lower multiples relative to you know some of the more expensive names. So I think right now the situation that we've got is investors are spoiled for choice in the sense that there's lots of earnings growth to be had and you don't have to pay up to the classic uh, high quality names that we've had in our portfolios in the sense of uh, getting the earnings growth. So it's a typical cycle, strong earnings recovery, 
typically in your first year, it will support valuations. I think the challenge for investors and from an asset allocation point of view will probably be in the back end of this year into the first half of 2022, where I think you're going to get a a sharp earnings deceleration. So in other words, earnings won't grow at the same rate that they're growing now, and uh, that rate will slow down a lot. And then I think valuations are going to become a lot more important. You mentioned the the earnings growth on some of those offshore stocks exceeding analyst expectations. And I think we had quite an interesting week here in South Africa last week, particularly the SA Inc. companies, the likes of Nedbank, Mr. Price, Fashini, uh, Woolworths. I think even Barlow World might have been the top performer. What can we attribute this to? Is it, uh, again, beating expectations? And what does it say about the local consumer market and the outlook for South Africa for that matter? So I think from an SA point of view, you've got a, a market where certain players in the market are benefiting from what's happened during COVID. And I think, you know, when you're looking at the earnings updates, I think by and large, SA companies have delivered better than anticipated earnings growth. And some of those businesses have taken market share from their peers. So for example, a Pepco and a Mr. Price continue to take share from the likes of Fashini's, Trueworths and Woolies. And I think that came through strongly in their numbers. And you saw some pretty powerful earnings or share price performances on the back of better earnings from those businesses. But I think you're right. I think it's fair to say that broadly, the SA domestic universe has fared better. The banks from a credit and impairment point of view have delivered better performances. And I think the broadly the industrial and some of the consumer businesses barring some of those that I've mentioned that have been losing some share, have put in some good performances. And I think when you know investors have obviously recognized that some of those businesses were trading on cheap or lowish multiples, and then the benefit of the strong earnings growth, the low multiples, has seen decent share price outperformance. And if you look in some of our previous presentations, we sort of highlighted South Africa MSCI, relative their valuations, relative to sort of other emerging markets and global markets. And we were standing out as being quite a cheap value market uh, in the context of a global equity universe where valuations have been quite full. So I think what we've also seen is globally some emerging market managers seeing SA as a recovery value trade, particularly now that our own COVID vaccination process has started, albeit slowly. But, you know, certainly we think it will accelerate. And I think that bodes well for uh, 2022. Thank you so much, Ian. I think I say this every month. Unfortunately, these 15 minutes absolutely fly by. So thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the rest of your morning. Thanks, David. And uh, good luck to everyone else. Thank you very uh-huh. much. And just to recap some of the key messages that are that are scribbled down as Ian was chatting away, there was obviously this trend around deglobalization and nationalistic behavior and economies looking to become more self-sufficient, particularly in their own manufacturing, and that's leading to a price or cost uh, pressure. Secondary, um, the post-COVID uh, demand is coming back online and the labor shortage that you're seeing in the US is again leading to real wage increases and talks a little bit more to that inflationary argument. Ian and his team remain positive on non-US global cyclical stocks. And again, SA continues to look relatively cheap based on its global peers. So from myself and those that have dialed in for the balance perspective, thank you very much for joining us today. And then the Treasurer's Conference attendees, you'll be back with me in, uh, I think we have a short one minute video and we'll be back online. Thank you very much. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act.
Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.